are the poor in spirit. Congratulations. Good news for you because the kingdom of heaven. so come Lord Jesus. The conclusion of history to bring all of creation to its consummate conclusion, come Lord Jesus, and in these next few moments, come Lord Jesus. For the power that is on display when he comes again is the power also on display now. We live in the light of his coming and in the glory of his coming. And so all of time, past, present, future, is redefined because Jesus is coming again. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This morning I would like for us to look at the uh, Beatitudes. It's a passage of scripture that uh, most people are familiar with. Um, it is a very wonderful and beautiful uh, collection of verses. It is well known and treasured, but I want for us to look at them not just for the intrinsic beauty, beauty of the language, but I want for us to look at them because they are the words of Christ coming to us. Now, uh, just to set the stage for why the Beatitudes are so significant, remember that Jesus came and the summary of his preaching, teaching ministry goes something like this, repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus came proclaiming that the power of God, the sovereign power and authority of God is breaking into the world and is a reality here and now. Not something to be thought of way back, buried in the pages of history, confined to biblical times, not something just out there somewhere, someday, somehow, but rather the kingdom of God is come here and now. And that glory that is to come when Jesus returns is a glory that's being poured into our lives here and now. And so Jesus is proclaiming the, the breakthrough of the kingdom of God coming into human experience. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then in the first verse of Matthew 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he sat down, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth and he taught them. Now if you had been a Jew back in the first century, you would have recognized that second verse as being a signal that what follows is rock, bed, solid, foundational truth. Uh, it's not just a, 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 an accidental phrase. He opened his mouth and taught them. Of course, he had to open his mouth to teach them. But this is the way the Jews declared that a teacher was about to give forth instruction that was absolutely essential for the listener, for the disciple. And so Jesus has gone up on the mountain. He's surrounded by those who have an interest in him, who are following him by his disciples, and he's teaching them what is the meaning of this kingdom of heaven that is coming to us. What does this kingdom mean? You can almost hear the, the tension. What will he say? Will he talk about the Romans? 
Will he talk about the way Israel has been scattered and abused and now will be brought home? Will he talk about the way that all the earth will now know that we were right and they were wrong? Will he talk about the fulfillment of our hope to be a nation again, a great nation? What does this kingdom of God mean? And in that context, Jesus starts to say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if you're listening to this, your first reaction has got to be, what's going on here? I mean, surely he should be talking about God's kingdom has come, sinners watch out. God's kingdom is coming, you heathen better beware. God's kingdom is coming. Those of you living lives of sin and rebellion against Almighty God are now going to be judged and punished. Surely he he should talk about those Romans who've invaded the promised land and are inflicting their imperial power upon us. Surely he's going to talk about how God will set us free. And here he is talking about poor people and sad people and meek people and hungry people. What gives? What's going on here? You see, the Beatitudes don't make any sense without Jesus. The Beatitudes without Christ are no more helpful than a fortune that you open up in a fortune cookie and you look at it and you read it and you say, who wrote that? And you throw it away. But I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And he is the one who makes sense out of the kingdom of God. And so we go to the first beatitude. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mount, sat down, opened his mouth, taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those whom the world accounts as being somewhat of a failure. Blessed are those who've encountered a deep poverty of spirit and soul. Blessed are those that you thought had failed to enter the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of God is for you. Now this word blessed in the Greek, it's not the normal word that's used when we talk about being blessed by God. It's a word that uh, is translated in several ways. Sometimes you'll see a translation that says, oh, happy the person who's poor in spirit. Uh, that, that sort of approaches it, although there's, there's etymological uh, problems with the word happy. Some have said congratulations is a good term. Others have said good for you would be a good way to translate it. And so as we're reading it, you who are poor in spirit, I've got good news for you. You who are poor in spirit, congratulations. You're right where God wants you to be so he can work in your life. You who are poor in spirit, You know a blessing from God because he's working a mighty work in your life to bring you into the very kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Now, what did Jesus mean? 
On a very physical level, he could have been talking just about financial wealth and poverty. When the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record the teaching of Jesus, uh, Luke records it this way, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so it seems as though God has an interest in those who are impoverished, those who have been left out of the prosperity of their nation and society, that God loves poor people. And certainly there's plenty of evidence that God has interest in the poor. In fact, in the days of Christ, that phrase, the poor, was one way to refer to people who were so destitute that they had to rely upon the grace of God. They were so devoid of resources that they had nowhere else to turn but to God. And so to say the poor was just almost a shorthand way of saying those who have nothing but God to rely on in their lives. And so as Luke was inspired to write, he says, blessed are the poor. All these uh, things come to mind. Uh, Matthew inspired to flesh it out a little bit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But there's certainly a physical level at which God is speaking in this beatitude. There were, to be sure, wealthy believers. James, John, Peter, and Andrew were fishermen. We surmise that they had a business, that they had more than one boat. They had some accumulation of wealth. Luke chapter 8 tells us about women who had enough resources that they were financially supporting the ministry of Jesus out of their own funds. Uh, in the book of Acts, we read about Barnabas who had property, about Lydia who was a wealthy merchant, about Priscilla and Aquila who were also accomplished business persons. And so uh, there are wealthy people that God uses in the scriptures. But the point is that the size of finances was not the issue. The placement of trust was the entirety of the issue. That's why when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to talk to you about this kingdom of heaven thing. Uh, I want you to know that I think I'm a prime candidate. You know that law? I've kept all of them from my youth up. I'm, I'm just a stellar example of the kind of person you want. Why, why don't you let me into the kingdom and, and then we can put my picture on endorsement posters and people will see, rich young ruler follows Jesus. Wouldn't you like to follow Jesus too? And it'll be just a great campaign. Why, Jesus, I think God would be lucky to have me if I were just come into the kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and loved him so much he could not leave him where he was. He said, this is the one thing you lack. You've got so much wealth that it's dragging you down. So I want you to go and to sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. You see, wealth is a hindrance to getting into the kingdom. It's not a sign that you're in the kingdom. It's a hindrance to get into the kingdom. I mean, Jesus said it's easier to take a camel and cram it through the eye of a needle. I remind you that it can be done, but it makes the camel cranky. Okay, um, it, you know, it can be done, but it's awfully hard to do. But Jesus said it's easier to get that, that, that camel through the eye of a needle than it is to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. Why, oh, why do we spend so much of our time and our resources trying to be rich? trying to accumulate, trying to be the very thing Jesus said would make it hard to get 
into the kingdom. If it is true that those who are impoverished are the ones who inherit the kingdom, then why is it we so much avoid being impoverished? Jesus said, blessed are the poor. They're halfway there. They already know they can't rely on material things. There's nothing left but the spiritual things. And so on a very physical level, you know, you're agonizing about furloughs, sequestration. You're agonizing about the economy. You're agonizing about your retirement account. I know about these things. The other day I was calculating my Social Security projected income and I realized I can retire at the age of 89. I know about these things. But blessed are the poor who have nowhere else to turn but to the sovereign grace of God. So that's sort of a physical level at which we can understand it. But then Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's a very real spiritual level at which we need to understand this. Now, to be poor in the spirit is not to have only a little bit of the spirit. It's not as though, well, I only got 10% of the Holy Spirit when I believed, and so I'm poor in the spirit. It is rather a poverty that takes place in the context of life in the Holy Spirit of God. It is a poverty that takes place in terms of the deepest level of who we are as spiritual, not just physical, but also spiritual beings. On a spiritual level, we are filled with the Spirit of God that enables us to surrender to Christ. But that comes when we realize that of our own, within our own spirit, we are impoverished. This speaks of an attitude that is focused on things above, not on things on earth. This is the sense in which Jesus, a little bit later on in the Sermon of the Mount, will say this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. There's a spiritual level of attitude and of commitment. There's also an emotional level in which to take these words. For to be poor in spirit is also to be downcast and in despair. This is what takes place when the heart is shattered, when dreams are broken, when hopelessness comes. You know, and, and, and our response is usually, well, if this is happening, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? Why are things going poorly? Why am I so discouraged? Why is it nothing ever seems to work out right? And to such as these who are poor in spirit and downcast and in despair, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Congratulations, good news for you, because the kingdom of heaven is for you. It's been designed for you. This is the very person who think that he, thinks he or she is disqualified but yet, in point of fact, Jesus said, no, you're closer to the kingdom than you've ever been before. 
You see, we know that people kept thinking in very crude terms when, when Jesus would, would preach. Uh, you, you may remember the time that Jesus was preaching, and, and a guy out in the crowd, he stands up and says, Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Mom and pop are gone, and I was counting on it to put a pool in the backyard, and he won't give it to me. Can you imagine? They made him executor, and he thinks I'm frivolous. Tell him to give me my inheritance. Can you imagine being in the presence of the Son of God? And that's all you can think about. Oh, blessed are those who would rather have nothing than to be shackled to that kind of mentality. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is how significant it is that those who are poor in spirit are blessed. You see, you thought the rich, the powerful, the self-reliant were in the front of the line, and you thought that the poor were in the back of the line. After all, they were suffering and they were despairing. But in point of fact, Jesus always got things backwards. He never could get things right. Son of God, yes, but his math was terrible. He kept saying things like, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. If you want to ascend to the top, you've got to be a servant of all. You want to live, you've got to die. Jesus kept getting things backwards in our view. You see, that's why the Beatitudes don't make any sense without Jesus. You know, just to go to somebody who's impoverished, who is physically poor, emotionally poor, spiritually poor, and you go to them, pat them on the head, now, now kingdom of God is yours, and walk away. What does that mean? But when you can go to someone who is spiritually impoverished at whatever level, and you explain to them that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that everyone, whosoever believeth in him, would never perish but have everlasting life. You can go to that person and say, you know, God demonstrates his love for you when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. It makes sense when you can go to those who are impoverished and you can tell them that Jesus Christ has come to bring you all the riches and the wealth and the treasures of heaven, and they are yours by faith in Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, the old is taken away. New things come. You're a new creation in Christ. Suddenly it makes sense because of Jesus. That's why he's the only one who can say, Blessed are the poor in spirit for yours, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In a very real sense, to be poor in spirit is to recognize our sin, to understand that before God we are clothed in the filthy rags of our unrighteousness, that we are helpless to change ourselves, that we are chained to a, sin a sinful heart. But now Messiah has come. Now Messiah has come and the one who confesses his or her spiritual poverty, who confesses sin and rebellion against the will of God, this is the one who gains entry into the glorious kingdom of God. Oh, Jesus said you're blessed. And just think about it. Who was more blessed? If you've got a blessing scale, you know, uh, for those of you who care, it's a logarithmic scale, so do the calculations. But who is more blessed? The Pharisaic leader that all made way for them in the, in the marketplace, 
who treated them with respect. Rabbi, I have a question. Oh, Rabbi, sit here. Rabbi, pray for me. Who was more blessed, the spiritual Pharisa the Pharisaical leader or the blind beggar who sat at his corner day after day after day, dependent upon people he could not see, dropping just a coin or two into his box that he might have something to eat that day on a good day? Who was more blessed, the Pharisee or the beggar? Who was more blessed, the Pharisee who did not see Jesus, did not know him for who he was, could not see Jesus as the Messiah? Who was more blessed, the Pharisee or the beggar, the beggar who knew the moment the name of Jesus was spoken, cried out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Why? Because of his poverty, because he was a beggar, because he was totally dependent. God had brought him to him a place in life where the moment he saw Jesus, he called out for the Savior. Who was more blessed? Who was more blessed, the rich young ruler who came and was strangled by his own riches, or the outcast leper who called out to Jesus and was touched and healed? Who was more blessed, the rich man who thought he had enough, or the beggar who knew he had, or the leper who knew he had nothing. Who was more blessed? The leaders of the synagogue who knew what the service should look like, who knew what a proper sermon should be, who knew how people should behave on the Sabbath. Who was more blessed? These religious leaders who incurred the anger of Christ or the man with the withered hand who discovered that the Sabbath day is for healing, for the display of the gracious, glorious grace and power of God in life. Who was more blessed? Oh, we can see now why. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because you're just that much closer to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, if you're broken before God and left with nothing but his grace, how wonderful, how amazing, how blessed is your life. And the difference is Jesus. The difference is Jesus Christ and a personal faith trust in him as he transforms our lives. So what do we do with this? Jesus said, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is all about? It starts right here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the first and the simplest level is to put money and possessions in their place. It's to understand that we really don't own anything. We're stewards. To be a steward, you know what a steward is? A steward is a butler. A butler is someone who uses the master's resources in the master's house to serve the master's guests. That's what our resources are for. Whatever you have was not given so that you might be proud of yourself. And I remind you again, in this room, we live like kings compared to the rest of humanity. But God has not given you financial resources that you might exalt yourself, feel good about yourself, and sort of look down on others who have less. But if God has given you anything at all, it is so that you might support your family, you might support and care for the poor, and so that you might support the work of God's kingdom. That's the purpose of it all. At a very simple level, it is to put all these things into perspective and to take our greatest delight 
in giving for the glory of the Father through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. At another level, what do we do with this? We acknowledge our sin before God. Oh, how liberating it is to be honest with God. Where did we get this idea that God didn't know what we're thinking? You know, that we could tell God things in our prayers and he wouldn't look into our hearts. Where did we get this idea that we could fool God as easily as we fool others? You see, when you get honest with God, you're not going to tell him anything he doesn't know already. You might as well come clean. And you might as well, in brokenness before the Father, set your life before his glorious majesty. And in the name of Jesus, know the forgiveness and redemption that comes from God. The very real sense to be poor in spirit is to be liberated from things and liberated from our self-righteousness and to come before God in confession of our sin. At an emotional level, it means this, that if in life you have encountered loneliness and rejection and heartache, and if in this life there's no longer any meaning and so you live in despair and hopelessness, I have good news for you. The kingdom of God is for you. By the way, it's interesting to see how some of these beatitudes relate almost directly to depression, a sense of poverty, grieving, a sense of meekness where the world seems to be abusive and taking advantage of you, hungering and thirsting for justice that you, you don't see. Blessed are those whose depression is getting the better of them because you know better than anybody else that you need the Savior. And the kingdom of God is just that close to you. The kingdom of God belongs to you. You're not rejected, Jesus says. The world thinks you are. The world thought the Beatitudes would be something like, blessed are you when you've got a steady income and you've got a lot of houses and lands and wealth and power and prestige. Blessed are you, the kingdom of God is yours. Jesus said, I, absolutely not. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because then you know your absolute need of the Savior. And it should be apparent that all this is due to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. These Beatitudes don't make any sense at all without Jesus. But with Jesus, they make all the sense in the world. By faith in Christ, they make perfect sense to us. And so this is the marvelous promise. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. There's an obvious comparison here to the paltry riches of the world and the infinite treasures of heaven that belong to us by faith in Christ. So that's the first beatitude. Number two. Well, maybe not this one. But Jesus announced the coming of God's kingdom in which the poor and the mournful, the meek and the hungering and the thirsting are all satisfied. He announced the coming of God's kingdom that by grace reached out to those 
who thought that God had overlooked them. Blessed are the poor in spirit because you've got God's undivided attention. And he has sent his son that by faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ, you will know the riches and the power of the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? And Father, whenever we begin to sink into a kind of self-pity, and whenever we start to think we are being defeated and our lives are being robbed of joy or meaning, Father, always remind us that the kingdom is ours by faith in Christ and that your Holy Spirit brings to us a comfort and a power and a hope to live in the blessings of your grace. Father, give us the courage to look beyond the moment so that we might have the faith always to look toward heaven. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our service with a closing hymn, the Holy Spirit works in your heart to bring conviction.